Welcome, it's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie. Good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Break it down. News of the day. None other than Jackson White, co-founder, editor-in-chief of Politoscope, TYT Rebel HQ creator, host of the YouTube channel, Politics and Paper. Always a fascinating breakdown. Top story of the day. Yep, bomb threat because Donald Trump had to go to the pokey to face the indictment after turning himself in. The Fulton County Court system received a threat. Let me go over it. Let's put up his picture full mass. Uh, beautiful thing. Now, obviously, the look on his face was well coordinated, planned. They went through a lot of back and forth about how he should pose. And there it is. Former President Donald Trump has his mugshot appearing there, being arrested in the state of Georgia under the RICO Act for the state in reference to his election interference case. After they allegedly worked to overturn the election results in the state of Georgia, about 45 minutes after Trump left the jail, authorities reported a bomb threat at the Fulton County Courthouse, according to MSNBC's Kyle Griffin. K9 units and police were deployed. Trump's former associate White House counsel, James Schultz, told CNN that Trump's legal team will have to keep a close eye on him, on Trump, and work diligently to make sure he abides by the bond agreement. The bond agreement basically tells him to abide by the law. Do not engage in witness intimidation. That is already illegal, all right? Um, as far as I'm concerned, the number one suspect for this bomb threat after Donald Trump turned himself in is this person. There is no circus without a sideshow. Marjorie Taylor Greene utilizing the opportunity in order to soak up more attention, gaslight individuals, and yes, say things that are so contrary to democracy that she should also be charged with treason. Let's put up the propaganda. What do we have here? Thursday was first time Trump has broken his silence on Twitter. Since being reinstated, he shared his mugshot taken earlier that day with the words, never surrender. And then the address for his website, raising money for his presidential campaign. Still, Trump posted on Truth Social after sharing the mugshot on X. I love Truth Social, it is my home. Once again, playing both sides. And talking out of both sides as he always does. Isn't it interesting that Trump can literally have a picture of his surrender? Post a picture of his surrender with the caption, never surrender. And his audience eats it up. <laughs> I mean, they're like, yeah, let's share this. That 
is all you have to show your grandchildren when they ask you, how in the hell did <laughs> Donald Trump happen? Show them that picture. Literally, it is a microcosm of what we have experienced with this madman. Trump is more desperate than ever for power. Trump will never release power inside of this so-called democracy if he ever gets power again. But Trump once again is a product, not the creator of this system. He is the ultimate production out of the system. If you do not radically transform the system that made him. All right, dear brother, what are your thoughts? Well, I really like how you set that up because it's always interesting what hindsight can do. You know, after some time passes, the dust settles and you're able to just look back and look at things a little bit more objectively for how they were to ask questions on, like you said, how in the hell Donald Trump happened. Um, but, you know, I think uh, I'm glad that also we got to see Marjorie Taylor Greene because people like her and everybody else in these right wing uh, political circuits. We're always fanning the flames for people to do things like bomb threats. Uh, the other week in Texas, a woman was arrested for threatening Judge Chuckin and uh, Rep. Sheila Jackson Lee. And uh, when they asked her about it, she was like, I- I'm serious, I'm not playing. Um, we'll go over Sarah Palin, some of her comments. Tucker Carlson the other night who interviewed yep. uh, uh, Trump. One of the biggest questions that he asked was, do you think there's gonna be a civil war? And Trump was like, there's a lot of love, a lot of passion. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, like, all right, all right. You know, and he kept saying that the whole time, doing his, doing his regular spiel. Um, but what else do they really have to talk about, though, at the end of the day? Because this is just a man who's running for reelection, desperately trying to stay out of prison. He's trying to get the, the laws changed in the entire state of Georgia so that he can stay out of prison. He spent yep. over $40 million on his defense campaign. So I think we're going to continue to see the dumpster fire burn ever hotter. Yeah, and I want people to be reminded that the DA, Fonnie Willis out of Fulton County elected by the people to do a job. Before the indictment, before the grand jury, you already had discussions among Republicans as to how they can change Georgia law to remove a sitting elected DA. Well, they did that in the last legislative session. That new panel goes into operation in the month of October. Meaning, in the month of October, you will see an effort by Republicans in Georgia to remove Fonnie Willis as the DA and appoint a DA of their own. So look for that fight to come very soon. Hell of a story, one of the saddest things you will ever see. Let's go to the video. Look at that boy, all of Which window she kick out? We see a ladder. Is anybody else in there? 
He did what? Is he Hispanic? Yeah. 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 But there's no one else in here, right? Such a sad ordeal, unimaginable, what this woman experienced. Put up the picture. I want to give you the background to what you just saw. You saw police freeing a woman who was chained to the floor. Body cam footage out of Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky, shows a police rescue of a woman who was chained by the neck to the floor by her child's father. The police department was responding to a concerned neighbor who reported hearing a woman screaming for help. The scene started from an argument which turned physical, where the so-called man, Moises May, pinned her onto the bathroom floor, chopped off most of her hair with a machete. When officers arrived, the building was completely barricaded and the neighbor offered a ladder. The woman had left that night and only returned the following day to collect her belongings. When he locked her inside a dead bolted room. You're gonna get it tonight. I told you the next time you leave, you don't come home, I'd kill you. May is accused of telling her after forcing her to take off some of her clothes and slapping her. May allegedly stormed out of the home after chaining her to the floor and stealing her cell phone so she could not call for help. According to the authorities, he has since been charged with one count of kidnapping, intimidating a participant in a legal process, wanton endangerment, assault, terroristic threat, and harassment. Put up his picture again. I hope you get the fullest extent that the justice system will allow in a little bit more. When you think about the anguish and the emotionalism, the fear that he put inside of another human being because he did not get his way. Well, sir, you are going to be in a facility where I guarantee you, you will not be getting your way anytime soon. Jackson, when I see stories like this, because I don't like bullies, don't like them at all, especially those that are of the predatory type like this one. Um, thankfully, a neighbor was aware enough to say, I hear screaming. It doesn't sound like an argument. It sounds more serious than that. I have to call the police. Thankful for that neighbor, thankful for the police that found this woman 
and likely saved her life. He should be charged with attempted murder. Jackson, thoughts? Absolutely, he should be charged with attempted murder. And if she wasn't rescued, he almost certainly would have ended up killing her because if he let her escape, then it's you know she definitely would have told as she should have. Um, you see stories like this every once in a while, um, more common than you know you'd really like to to think yeah. about. But people out here do terrible things to others. And um, this is what good police work is. These are the types of people who belong in prison. These are the types of people yep. who really don't deserve to be walking uh, around out here free. Because it's not even just that he did all this to get his way. He was doing all of this to have some sense of worth, some sense yep. of, to, to quell his anxiety, to feel like he had some type of control in his life. Um, and so, you know, it, for everybody, you know, things aren't always so simple as just making a good decision, but you really got to be careful who you get involved with uh, as much as possible. Take your time with people. Um, and also, if you know anybody who's going through some type of an abusive situation, you know, if you know women who are stuck in that, uh, I definitely encourage you to do what you can to assist and, and to help because it's really not always as simple. It's Seldom as simple as just yeah. just leave them, just walk away. So yeah. if, if you can help somebody you know is in a bad situation, I encourage all of you to do it. Amen to that. A retired police officer decides to shoot his wife in the face, killed three, injured six, put up his picture full mass. John Snowling. A former cop killed three at a California baker, excuse me, biker bar, tried to kill his estranged wife. This retired cop is an ex-sergeant, which meant he had command. This is a supervisor, former supervisor in policing with the Ventura County Police. He opened fire at a cook's corner on Orange County, in Orange County late Wednesday, then murdered three, injured six people before he himself was shot dead by the police according to the Daily Mail UK. Eyewitnesses said the ex-sergeant who was first identified by KTLA. That's an important note because when this initially happened, they would not give us any information about this person at all, okay? So he was identified by KTLA, good work on their part. Had gone to the bar to confront his wife, Mary, and shot her in the face. Miraculously, she did survive. Mary had been visiting the popular watering hole for her uh, for their spaghetti night when she was shot in the lower jaw. William Mosby, Mary's father, identified John and said that the pair had gone through a bitter divorce, describing him as, and I quote, crazy, end quote. He has not officially been identified. The pair had been living in the Camarillo area prior to the bitter split where the officer, the ex-sergeant Snowling, was a former cop. Quote, he was a crazy husband who couldn't deal with divorce, Mosby told the Orange County Register. Let me give you more background on the shooting. Now, before I do that, I want to remind everybody, this is an ex-police officer who was able to succeed in the industry of policing. He became a sergeant, which means he has rank. We call that three stripes. He got rank, he has supervision, he has command. 
according to the Orange County Sheriff's Office. Authorities first received calls to 911 at 7.04 PM and arrived at the bar two minutes later. Deputies then engaged with the gunman at 7.08 PM when he was fatally shot, according to a witness. The gunfire started in the picnic area. Initially, victims heard about five or six gunshots before a brief pause. Shortly after, the shooting continued with an increased volley of fire. A witness said he barricaded himself in the kitchen, along with a man described as a cook who had been shot in the arm. The two armed themselves with a frying pan and waited until it was safe to come out. The man also told CBS LA reporter Michelle Guile a story about a woman he had spoken to who encountered the gunman saying, quote, please don't shoot me, I'm five months pregnant. The gunman allegedly told her, get out of here. And she was able to safely leave. Put it up. Of the six people hospitalized, at least five had gunshot wounds, according to Providence Mission Hospital. Doctors were treating two people in critical condition, for others, stable condition. A sad tragedy, a very sad tragedy, um, something that doesn't make sense. Nobody can understand why would you go to a bar and just start shooting and killing people? That question may never be fully answered. His why does not have any level of justification to it, and he's dead. Now he went there to kill his wife, his ex after the divorce, but decided to take some people with him. Now, this is the elephant in the room that most in law enforcement refuse to talk about. The father said the man has been off his rocker in this way. He doesn't have the ability to deal with life. He could not deal with life on the terms of life. Why is it that he succeeded in the industry of policing? Did he succeed in policing because he was able to separate this kind of extremism inside of him? Or is it because he was able to bring that extremism to his job? Is the thing that made him dysfunctional in the relationship with his wife, the very thing that made him a superstar in policing? The man became a sergeant. This is why we advocate for psychological examinations more than one time. Every six months, every one year, not just for the sake of the public. The public has a big part of that, the majority part, but also for the sake of the officer. The officer you hire on day one, when you administer the psychological evaluation as they come out of boot camp and basic training, that officer is not the same officer on day 365. This is how it works. Without them being able to have some avenue of objective psychological evaluation and not the BS they provide currently. You don't know how a person is transforming over time because they have training, yes, but then they also have a culture. 
And that culture of policing is typically adversarial to the training they receive. So once again, this should renew an advocacy not only by community, but also by law enforcement to implement psychological evaluations mandated every six months, every one year for every cop in the United States of America. People can do this. Remember when cops said no to body cameras? It was because of you. Police departments have body cameras, not because of the police. This is another progression that is required. Jackson, thoughts? I think, um, you know, especially from the perspective of protecting the officers, this makes a lot of sense. When something like this goes down, there's no way that anybody, even if you're, you know, uh, the uh, thin blue line to the fullest, to the extreme, there's no way you could look at this and think that nothing needs to be done. One, he just fits uh, into the, you know, the common occurrence of people running up in some type of establishment and shooting things up, committing public suicide practically. But then also he was an officer and he did this to his his ex. He did this to people who didn't deserve it. So not only would uh, more psychological evaluations be able to protect officers um, you know, from themselves potentially, but also would provide a lot of data that's needed for us to even know what changes need to be made. You know, what types of things happen to these officers over time, depending on what type of situations they go through, um, just the stresses of the job maybe. And one of the things that you do hear a lot of police officers talk about is that the job is stressful. I mean, work is stressful. There's stress that comes with any type of profession, but especially one like this. So I think that more uh, psychological evaluations will provide us with a lot of data that we may not necessarily have a lot of right now. Uh, to help us make the changes necessary. That's a great point. Um, everyone is a combination of three E's, experiences, exposures, and environments. If you see that somebody is starting to veer off of a psychological course, then you can be intentional about the three E's they need to get back in line without any type of measure in psychology for them or the psychological aspect of their perspective, you have no opportunity to course correct. We got more on the other side, it's indisputable, stick and stay. All right, welcome back, a lot of show left. Thank you for remaining with us. Let me read some of these amazing comments. Um, don't forget, don't forget, you can always catch me on Sunday Series XM Urban View, the Dr. Rashad Richard Review, make sure you tune in 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time. I give you everything that you may have missed and things you need to look for in your week ahead. All right, let's go to the comments. Um, Sully, Kia Ora, hello, indisputable from New Zealand. Big ups to New Zealand. Thank you for joining us. Next, TYT reporter. Uh, it's nice to see police actually doing their jobs for once. That's right, that's all we ask. You don't have to be more than just, you know, professional. That's it. Uh, C. Michael Henson, thank you, C. Michael. Uh, look, I'm sad. MAGA is now MAGA with AA, meaning my ass got arrested again. <laughs> Yo, that's perfect. <laughs> that, that's I going to be, it. I'm going to go ahead and market that merchandise with yeah, two just, A's. Yeah, just give her a couple percentage points. You know what I'm saying? That, that's right. Yeah, that's that's right. it. That would be good. We'll be fine. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I wish a Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a and Sunday? You're going to feel great. Back off. I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. You better be Donald.
the racism even upon exit. So this particular Karen thought she was in a room full of, well, at least Karens or those who are afraid of them. But she did not know lurking on the side, waiting for his order, was an anti-Karen. It was about that action. Let's put up the picture for a mask. This is how you change the world, confronting one Karen at a time. Now, one person cannot confront all Karens, but all people can confront at least one of them. This is according to the poster. This woman was harassing a McDonald's worker and someone got tired of it. She was berating this McDonald's worker and a man decided to intervene. And as you know, I have a special place in my heart for those who are willing to stand up for others. And it's a big deal to do so. There are people who will say, you know what, I'm a good person, but I just don't want to get involved. I would never do that, but I don't want to really, that's not my business. I don't want to say anything. Understand this, if you say nothing, even if you don't get as aggressive as this anti-care, if you say nothing, if you offer no words at all when you see this kind of action in front of you. Please keep in mind, you are empowering them. You are making it even more acceptable to them in their mind to do things like this in front of everyone. Um, I'm pleased at what I see. Thank you, sir, for what you did by standing up for somebody you did not know and putting yourself in the midst of it. Jackson, thoughts? Yes, we all must confront one Karen in this lifetime that's before right. the gates of heaven open up to us in some form or fashion. You know what I'm right, saying? That, that that's the whole trick that. right there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it always kills me to see people like this. Not not just grown, but super grown. Because I'm 31 years old. I'm grown, but you know, like I'm not as grown as I will be when I'm like 45, 50. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. I still got. I still gotta earn my way a little bit, you feel me? So it's like, you see people who are like super grown do stuff like this, like you could have just ordered DoorDash, you know? You could have just went through the drive-through or something. Yeah. It's really not that serious. And uh, I don't know, hopefully she got enough embarrassment to where maybe she went home and had a little bit of a change of heart, but uh, probably not so much. We'll, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, you we'll know, see. our coverage tends to create self-reflection. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right, that's why we do it, PSA situation. What if I told you that a young lady dealing with a mental health issue was basically lost in the system, could not be found? Multiple systems gave the guardians a runaround as they desperately tried to find their daughter, put up the picture full mass. A young woman in Georgia was discharged from a mental health hospital to a group home and went missing for over two months. Ms. Scandia, a 33 year old woman who suffers from schizophrenia and is under the legal guardianship of her father, was admitted to the Lakeview Behavioral Health Facility in Norcross, Georgia on May 28th after a suicide attempt, according to The Guardian. On June 9th, Ms. Scandia was transferred to a group home called Heart to Heart Care in Covington, Georgia. Follow the timeline here, you got Lakeview and then they transferred her to Heart to Heart in Covington, Georgia by a Mr. Robert Shropshire who claimed to the family that she got out of his vehicle at an intersection and ran away from him. Okay, now this is according to the narrative we received. Let's put the picture up. So Ms. Scandia's mother provided us with her communications with Mr. Shropshire. The contact information given to her by the hospital, including a Zelle account through which we were able to verify his identity on Facebook by way of the mother's information, okay? When Ms. Scandia's family went to the group home, the group home address as listed on the hospital discharge papers and in Mr. Shropshire's, uh, Shropshire's text to see if somehow, you know, maybe she still went to the facility, they found an abandoned home. This is what they found when they went to the address and they provided this to Indisputable. Upon doing research, the family found the address of Heart to Heart was in an entirely different city and asked the police to conduct a wellness check. Upon the check, Miss Scandia was not found at that location either. We have the documentation there. The family filed multiple missing persons reports, contacted the hospital staff that originally made the discharge. They stated they felt sorry for the family, but offered nothing more. We have the correspondence provided here. Fortunately, Scandia has since been found, but has been hesitant to divulge the details of her time missing. Other than claiming Mr. Shropshire told her he'd take her wherever she wanted to go and then allegedly took her to a transit station, gave her money for the train. We reached out to the Lakeview Behavioral Health Facility to ask about the situation as well as their discharge practices. They responded by saying, and I quote, we neither discuss nor confirm the identities of individuals seeking or receiving treatment in our program. As always, the security and well being of everyone in our facility remains our top priority. The current CFO of the organization is Shannon Rippey. 2020 to June 2023, CEO 
current interim CEO, Dagan Watson. We reached out to Mr. Robert Shropshire at Heart to Heart Care by phone and by email. He refused to respond. Our production team, lead producer in our investigative unit, did the absolute best to try to get him on record. No record provided. Ms. Scandia's mother, Erica, expressed her feelings directly to us by saying, and I quote, I'm upset, frustrated, disgusted, and disappointed. I am frustrated that the state of Georgia would allow for a facility like Lakeview Behavioral Health to continue to mistreat, mishandle, and misuse the mentally ill. The State Department needs to do more to monitor how mental health care throughout the state of Georgia is being forced out to the streets. She continued, our family has always been involved in our daughter's care. And since permanent guardianship of our daughter was granted to a father, we have been told by Lakeview clinical staff that having guardianship created denials of insurance coverage and drug addiction treatment for Scandia. Therefore, we felt we had no choice but to accept a group home referral that was provided by Lakeview Behavioral Health as mental health and substance abuse treatment for our daughter. As a mother, taxpayer, registered nurse, and concerned citizen, I am appalled that the group home resource that was approved by Lakeview Behavioral Health turned out to be a fraud, end quote. Those are the words of the mother directly. Now, in our research, we found that Lakeview has had some issues in the past. In 2019, a local news source reported on Lakeview patients' death, leading to an investigation on multiple allegations against the facility, as well as a raid by the county police. Local news covered these events. Police said around 70 people, 7-0, 70 people or patients have filed complaints. Police had previously said that victims were coming forward with, quote, unexplained injuries while being treated at the facility. The ages of the victims range from 23 to 65 years of age. Many of the victims are coming forward saying they experienced physical and sexual abuse along with negligence, theft, and more. Police are now digging into claims, the oldest of which dates back to 2017 that was reported by 11 Alive News in Atlanta, Georgia. Now see this kind of stuff really boils my blood because while we have system failures, we understand what they are. The people inside of these systems typically are good people trying to overcome the bureaucratic nightmare and the lack of resources that are available. But this, to not have answers for two months, you trusted, you trusted a mental health care facility with the care of your child. Who has been deemed not able to make decisions on her own. That's why the judge gave the guardianship to the father. And the family tries to do what any good family would do, get involved. Can I get information? Where's my daughter? Why is this address provided and there's no building? Lakeview, you made the recommendation, give us some answers. Sorry, can't help you. Now I know 
You all at Lakeview are going to be upset at me. I don't give a damn to be quite honest with you. And I know some of you who work there. And I know that heart to heart may have some words. That's fine, bring it, I'm ready for it. But I promise you, you won't lose another damn patient. Jackson, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, well, what type of extreme negligence and just laziness is going on for this not only to happen once, but what you put up 70 times of people not just uh, reporting injuries and things along those lines. And then the CEO and interim CEO not wanting to come forth and say anything whatsoever means that they know all about these instances and they just really ain't doing anything uh, to fix it. But this is yet another example, um, and her mother pointed that out that the State Department needs to do more. But this is another example of how much overhaul our healthcare system needs in general. Um, you know, with profit being the center of pretty much every type of medical treatment, even down to prescription drugs. You know, things are sold here for 10x profit all the way around. Everything's about how can we make money? How can we squeeze out some profit? And that leaks into areas like this. Otherwise, I mean, if, if you care, if you're really concerned, how does this happen at all, let alone right. multiple times, let alone dozens of times? So it's definitely good that this story is being brought to light. And uh, I hope Lakeview has to answer for this in some type of way, uh, you know, because this really yeah. is unacceptable. And the parents, man, they did all they could do. They worked inside of the framework provided, they sent the emails, tried to coordinate. Uh, with certain individuals for information, dead end, brick wall, another barrier, no to this, no to that. And so they finally reached out to us out of desperation because no one else seemed to provide any answers. Uh, we will continue to follow this story as it develops, all right? We got more on the other side, it's indisputable, stick and stay. Insane story, when I say insane, I do mean Quite insane, it's unbelievable. According to the narrative, a school teacher uh, calls a student a dumb N-word, okay? And when another professional speaks up, that professional gets in trouble for defending the child. Put up the picture full mass. North Texas. A North Texas counselor <clears throat> claims she was forced to resign for reporting an incident where a teacher committed a violent act against a student. David Daniels Elementary Academy of Science and Math. That's the Facebook page picture. A lawsuit has been filed by Gabriana Clay White on August 17th in Dallas County in North Texas. Described last year's alleged incident. On May 8th, a teacher who remained unnamed in the document called a student a dumb N-word, pulled a chair from under him, stepped on him, Clay White claims. The student's name as well as the name of the school where the incident occurred were unnamed in the claim, but the Fort, the Fort Worth Star Telegram reports to school employees named in the filing worked at David Daniels Academy of Science and Math, an elementary school in Grand Prairie, Texas. According to the lawsuit, 
The altercation started over a bag of chips. The special needs student claimed the bag was taken from him, him by the teacher. And the student claimed, the student called him dumb in response. In a fit of anger, the teacher pulled the chair from under the student. And then, and this is a quote from the suit. Then used a racial slur toward the student, saying only dumb in words, in word in this room is the one with the blue shirt who can't read. End quote. This is according to the lawsuit. The counselor who was in the class to assist with the child claims the teacher tried to pull the chair from under the child again. But Clay White intervened. And began walking the student toward the door when he tried to swing at the teacher. When he missed and fell to the floor, the teacher proceeded to put her foot on the child's chest. The claim says, Clay White would report the incident to school officials and child protective services in Texas is mandated that you report abuse in positions of trust. So she, uh, Clay White reports it, the incident to the school officials and to Child Protective Services the next day. According to the lawsuit and would be called to human resources on May 20th to provide a third statement on the incident. Clay White says she was forced to resign on June 3rd, 2022. After reporting the incident, she had witnessed and is now suing the school district. The lawsuit claims that human resources found her in violation of the ethics code. And she could either get fired or resign. White chose to resign under duress, as stated in the lawsuit. Um, And it is important that uh, resignation under duress is noted for the record uh, because basically, An organization, especially a governmental enterprise, cannot create such a scenario to where they basically threaten you with A, if you do not do B, all right? So you now have a duress claim in that resignation. Um, Otherwise, they will say, well, they're the ones who resigned on their own, okay? So it's an important legal distinction. Um, So what do we have here? We have a counselor who looks as if based on the narrative of the lawsuit did the right thing, all right? Tried to protect the child, reported it within 24 hours, provided the report not only to the school, but also to child protective services as is stated by Texas statute. And then once requested, once she was requested to come into human resources, provide a third statement, she didn't have to, but she did provide a third statement, third statement, Congruent to statement number one, statement number two. She provides a third statement and within days, you see the timeline, within days forced to resign. What about the teacher who called a special needs student the dumb N word? You see moments like this, you realize where the priorities are located. You can say whatever you wanna say on some document signed by the principal or a proclamation from a superintendent about what kind of values you express, but you are what you do. 
That's who you are. You're not what you say, you can manipulate your mouth to say anything. You are your character. And in this situation, your character is less than becoming, in my opinion. Jackson, thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, just the statement alone, you know, before we even get to, you know, the the child being physically harmed, the statement alone just, I mean, how much hatred do you have in your heart for just general groups of people for you to be that flustered to say this to a, a child? And a special needs child is that, like a yeah. kid, like, ha ha, you can't read. Oh, and by the way, you know, it, I mean, and, and it's always crazy to watch any type of institution and in their attempt to, you know, defend themselves or defend their image from the public. When you do stuff like this, you just ultimately make yourself look worse. Because this teacher is not worth defending, especially for the greater good of the whole organization. I mean, is this really the brand that you want? Apparently it is, even if it's not, it, it sure looks like that's the brand that you want. Because yeah. I mean, even if the teacher didn't say anything racist, even if the teacher didn't put their hands on the child, making fun of a kid because they're not good at reading. I mean, what? why are they even working there? So all around, this just makes this institution look incredibly bad. Yeah, and I want to provide this context. If you work with special needs students, that means that you have received special training. You are certified in multiple areas of behavioral discipline, understanding, learning, and cognitive dynamics. You have training that most people do not. You are supposed to be even more equipped to deal with individuals who are young people who need people like you. Shame on you. What if I told you a school teacher, first day of school, comes to the classroom completely intoxicated according to the report? Here's the video. Ready? Take a big deep breath. You want to tell me the truth? How much you had to drink? I drank last night. There's no way you drank last night. Well, I did drink last night. Did you drink at school? Is what he's asking. Tell us the truth. I, I didn't drink at school. That wouldn't blow that right there. You blew. Two times the legal limit. I did? Yeah. Here's our drink that you have. What's in this drink? That's a Diet Coke. Is there anything like liquor in it? Nope. So if I go into the classroom, am I going to find anything else? Did you go to your vehicle and drink if we go out and search your car? No. So where did the liquor come from? Did you leave campus? Not today. This thing is. Pretty accurate. No, I know it is. So I, know, I know it is. You blew like a 0.24. I don't know what that means. What's Legal limits 0.08. Okay. Do you drink often? Unfortunately, yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm not trying to insult you. I'm just trying to understand no, no, why. No, I, I, I'm seeing a counselor. I'm seeing a counselor about it. Okay. No more games, right? Yeah. What is in that? Uh. Uh. My juice. Gonna try again. That layer is wine. I thought that was from yesterday. You 
drink it up here yesterday? Uh, well, I brought it from home. I'm gonna have uh, Spencer come in the back oh way God. and I'll oh take God. her out the back way. Oh my God. But she's lied and lied and uh, Mr. Ogle found a cup that had wine residue in it on her desk, so. Very sad. Put up the picture full mass. First day coming back to teach third graders. Miss Kimberly Coates was intoxicated. The reason the police were there is because her intoxication was reported by those around her. Kimberly Coates, an Oklahoma third grade teacher, was arrested after she was accused of being drunk during the first day of class. Ms. Coates, who teaches third grade at Perkins Tryon Intermediate School, could be charged with public intoxication after being accused of drinking at work last Thursday. That's according to KOCO TV. Police said other employees at the school grew concerned about Ms. Coates' behavior. And the superintendent instructed the school resource officer to give her a breathalyzer test, according to the report. He determined that she was under the influence of alcohol. And she blew into a PBT and confirmed that she did have alcohol in her system. Perkins Police Sergeant Spencer Geeton told the outlet. When asked by an officer if she drinks often, she responded yes and that she is, quote, seeing a counselor. According to the report, at one point, Perkins Tryon Public School Superintendent Doug Ogley placed a cup on the table. No more games. What's in that? She said, my, my juice, as you saw. The officer sitting across from her said that there was wine residue inside of the blue cup that was on her desk. In a statement to KOCO TV, uh, Ogley said that the district is conducting an internal investigation and cooperating with law enforcement. According to the reports, she was held in the Payne County Jail before being released. Put up a picture again. Um, you know, this story is not a story where you should laugh. It's a story where you should learn. Ms. Coates, where you are today, I myself have been there. Years ago, I was a drinking man and I had to stop because I did not want a moment like what you just experienced to happen with me. They are children under your care. You were so intoxicated that your colleagues who probably like you said, we have to call the police on you. There is no embarrassment. There is no embarrassment in seeking help. I'm a man in full time, long term recovery. I wake up every morning. New day, new opportunity. You have been given a gift, madam. You have been given a gift, a wake up call, and you didn't have to injure anyone to get it. You didn't have to abuse a child in an alcoholic rage to get here. You have been given a gift. 
please accept it as it is. Jackson, thoughts? Yeah, I think um, there's no particular reason why her whole professional career is over, perhaps not as a teacher in the same capacity. But as you pointed out, she didn't hurt anybody or anything along those lines. So there may be opportunities for her to shed a more positive light moving forward on how to overcome and bounce back in a variety of ways. But as you pointed out, I mean, for her to be doing this at all and to be in this situation, she's clearly uh, dealing with a lot of very tough life issues and she has substance uh, abuse issues. Uh, she has she has an issue with alcohol so much to the point that it, it it's consuming her life. So yeah. definitely hoping that she can get uh, some help. And you're right, 100 um, percent. There's absolutely no uh, shame in seeking help because otherwise, I mean, what's your other option? Just getting right. worse and worse and worse. And if you're worried about looking bad or worried about embarrassment, it'll be more embarrassing when you hit rock bottom in some type of way than just acknowledging like, eh, I got a little bit of a problem with this, perhaps. Yeah, there um, you go. Yeah, so again, hopefully she can uh, get some help and everybody can learn from this. There you go, well said. We got more on the other side, it's indisputable, stick and stay. All right, I got a question for you. What in the red state hell? You can take a gun, shoot somebody in the face, it's not hard. Sometimes it might even be fun if they're a godless commie. Now, what they're trying to do is sneak the COVID vaccine in your salads. I never had, I hate math. Somebody say amen. was incredibly intense. Fascinating, man. Um, let me do this. Put up the picture for mass. I have some wisdom to offer this um, young, I assume, um, evangelist, maybe. So, ma'am, there are a couple of scriptures I would like for you to think about. While you poured out, looks to be just a regular ass book uh, to perform an exorcism. Uh, and you're screaming, I'm tired of you not being saved. I wanna remind you that scripture says, we fight not a battle of flesh and blood, but a battle of spirits, principalities, and wickedness in high places. The argument, according to the narrative I heard, was about hell. Your friend does not believe hell exists and you do. Well, hell does exist, it's in the parameters of your heart. Let me explain. When Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, where is the kingdom of heaven? Yahshua answered, for the kingdom of heaven does not come with observation. Let no one deceive you. Nobody can say, look, it is over here or lo, it is over there. For the kingdom of heaven is inside of the heart of man. 
So if Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is inside of the heart of man, Madam, where do you think the kingdom of hell is? All right, Jackson, thoughts? This remind me of the SpongeBob episode where he thought he was ugly because his breath stank and Patrick was like, look at it, look at it. And they was in the movie theater like, why won't you just look at it? That's what that remind me of. But hey, I mean, life is difficult, you know what I'm saying? Like if I was in that situation, I'm now she put the book all in my face, that may be a little much, but yeah. you could splash some holy water on me, get get my demons out of me, cause you know, life is difficult. <laughs> but yeah, no, nah, that was uh that was pretty intense. I hope it worked, right. you know. Is it you gonna you gonna read this? I'm gonna shove it down in the into your brain. You yeah. didn't have a choice. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I guarantee you that 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 ain't how it's done. <laughs> okay. Brother, always a pleasure having you on the program. Tell people they can follow you, check out your great work. Absolutely, uh, you can check me out on Rebel HQ and also my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at politics and paper. We got daily streams, three programs and a membership program coming next month. So again, check me out at politics and paper. Always a pleasure to be here with you as well. Always a pleasure, dear brother. All right, bullpen is next, stick and stay. All right, let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. All right, he's back in the bullpen. We have none other than conservative talk radio extraordinaire, politically misguided, yes, and a dear friend most of the time. We're still working on our relationship. Shelly Winter. How are you, my brother? Good to see you. Hey, man, good to not see you. Where are you, sir? <laughs> I'm in Kingston, Jamaica with the uh, with the. Brought her down to see where my family's from, and uh, going to spend a couple days here. Going to the greatest dub reggae dub club in the in the world called Kingston Dub Club Sunday, yeah. and uh, very excited about that. Seeing my brother and his wife down here, just spending a couple days. Good for you. Um, Trump spent a couple of minutes inside of the Fulton County Jail. Your buddy, I see you provided a picture for our production team uh, while you are uh, you know on vacation. Uh, so he has been. Arrested again, technically the other um, indictments led to arrest, but not a real arrest. He's been fingerprinted, he's been uh, actually booked and had a, has a mugshot. Uh, let me first ask you just about procedure here. Sheriff LeBot said, listen, if you have an indictment from Fulton County, you will receive the same treatment as anyone else who receives an indictment, felony indictment inside of this county. Do you think that was a proper move by Sheriff LeBot or not? I do. I mean, it is what it is, you know. Um, and I think it was a, a proper move. I, I per, you know, uh, 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 full disclosure: the Labots, his wife Jackie, and Sheriff Labot are dear friends. I've known them for years. Um, they've supported my efforts in radio for many, many years. So, yeah, I do think it was the right move. But I think also it was the move that the Trump team has wanted for a while. They have they have not shied away from this. They are going to use this. He's already got it on DonaldJTrump.com. Uh, he got kicked off of Twitter a couple years ago. He hasn't done anything on Twitter since he started True Social. As soon as that uh, mugshot dropped publicly, they dropped it on Twitter. His first post on Twitter was the mugshot uh, with the uh, with the um, uh, quote "Never Surrender" uh, underneath, and then the website DonaldJTrump.com. So um, I think they they want this. They they want this. They want this fight. You know, I don't think they want this fight. I do think he's a master 
yes. and transferring energy that's negative and making it a positive for himself, Fair right? Fair enough. Uh, because remember, the first time he got uh, indicted, they literally created a fake mugshot that looks very similar to the pose he has right now. Um, and so that pose, ironically enough, is the same pose they used when he did not get a mugshot, uh, and they utilized it as propaganda. But at least this time, the mugshot is um, genuine, which is probably one of the few times he has told the truth. So let's talk about Bonnie Willis, the district attorney, right? So the DA, she's doing these pre-negotiated opportunities at bond, which actually is normative for high profile cases. Nothing abnormal about that. This is a courtesy extended to individuals in this particular scenario. But she also provided routine parameters for the bond, saying things like, in order for you to maintain the bond agreement, you cannot intimidate those who are co-defendants and you cannot intimidate witnesses or potential witnesses directly, indirectly, etc. People on the right are bent out of shape about this, Shelley, but the language is boilerplate language when it comes to prosecuting under the RICO Act. Why do you think people are saying, well, wait a minute, that's unfair when that's how it's been for decades when you are arrested and indicted under such a scheme as this? I think because some of them are reading into that language that conversations and or tweets and or public statements about the case will be read as you know, intimidating witnesses. When you start, and you're right, it is boilerplate, but in a high profile case, there's no precedent for this. So precedents for this, so I think it's a little bit different. Yes, John is getting, John Smith gets a bond in Fulton County, he can't intimidate witnesses, we know what that looks like. But if John Smith is a high profile person that stays on social media, oh, by the way, he's actually currently running for the president of the United States, then he has to still can't campaign, what can we, what can he say and not say that won't be charged as, and I'm doing air quotes here, charged as intimidating witnesses, can never surrender be seen as intimidating witnesses. It's quite viable that the DA, Bonnie Willis can say, "Oh, you just posted never surrender. Were you telling your co-conspirators not to give in or not to cut plea deals? So that's the danger. That's why people on the right are saying that because we all know, well, I'm not saying we all know you and I, I mean, you should know this is a lot of this is politically motivated, I'd say 100% of it is politically motivated. So and when under those circumstances, it does become slightly unfair to tell someone what they can and cannot say, especially while they're running for president of the United States. Well, let's, let's back up a bit. I think there's a political angle. I don't think it's 100% politically motivated because there is there there. Uh, individuals did sign an affidavit swearing, affirming and attesting that the statements submitted were true. Those are the Republican electors who were not activated. They're not feckless electors, they are fake, fraudulent. No such term as fake. There's no such term as fake electors. They are legally, they're legally able to set up an alternative is the correct word. Fake electors is a narrative set by the media. No one uses fake electors except for the media. Allow me to. It's an alternative. Hold on. 
Well, it's an alternative um, elector. It was done that. in 1960 in Hawaii. Um, the case turned for John Kennedy, and those electors were were not were used. In this case, the reason why they had the meeting, which was public, um, AP was took pictures at the meeting. The reason why they had the meeting in the first place was because the date, the deadline to have alternative electors was coming on, and the courts were dropping the cases. Remember, what's very important to note about this entire mm-hmm. case, which is why. Cheeseboro, John uh, Kenneth Cheeseboro, one of the co-conspirators, wants to go in October is because he wants to be in front of a court to lay out the case because no court has heard the case of a potential fraudulent election here in Georgia. No, I definitely understand your point. Or, or let nationally. You, let me tell you where you're incorrect on your assessment of the law. Uh, there is uh, such thing as a fake elector. The Electoral College. Uh, and I know this intimately because, as you know, at one time I was the director and chief strategist for the Georgia Democratic Party. I was in charge of selecting the electoral members who would be activated when and if our presidential candidate won. If they are not uh, activated, meaning if that candidate does not win that state, you are not an elector. You have not been activated into the electoral college. However, you sit, if you, allow me to finish, no, hold, sir, I allowed you okay, to finish. Okay, finish, finish, go ahead. You have been affirmed by the state Democratic Party or the state Republican Party to sit in a prerequisite role until activated as an elector. Once you are activated as an elector, you then become a member of the electoral college. If you are not a member of the Electoral College by way of activation, sir, I will give you the opportunity to respond once I finish. If you have not been activated by way of your candidate winning to the Electoral College, anything you do as an elector is fraudulent. You are fake, you are phony, you are not activated, you are not a member of the Electoral College, period. Because your candidate did not win that state. Now, to give additional context for what has happened in this situation, These individuals met, yes, the meeting problematic, but not illegal by itself. What's illegal is the signing of the affidavit. Affidavits are sworn statements saying inside of the statement, under penalty of perjury, I swear, affirm, and attest that the statements submitted are true and accurate. And what did the statement say? The statement says that. We are electors, or I'm an elector. No, alternative electors, or alternative. You're leaving that word out purposely, Rashad. I know what you just what you just explained. What you just explained. Hold on. What you just explained. Sir, I'm going to allow you to finish. But next time I respond to shut you down, sir, I'm going to ask you to humbly. Take this lesson no I'm problem. about to give you. Go no, ahead. You, you already gave the lesson of. Go, no, I, I have. I have a you already gave brother. the. I'm gonna on, let sir. you walk into this one. I'm gonna let you walk no, into it. Go ahead. There's nothing to walk into. You already explained the process. However, included in that process legally, legally is the opportunity for you to appoint alternative electors if you believe that the election outcome is not what it's said to be. So what you're saying is that if the state affirms an election, then the side that won the election, those electors are legal and true electors. That is absolutely correct. Legally, however, 
You do have the right to select alternative electors if you believe that the outcome is in is in jeopardy, not in jeopardy, but is in question. So that's why, and there's a deadline for you to do that. Why set a deadline if the state can affirm something and it's already done and it's a done deal? There shouldn't, it doesn't have to be a deadline then. Because if the electoral college, if you become a member of the electoral college because your side won the election, there's no point in having a deadline. The reason why they called the meeting to select alternative electors is because of the deadline that was approaching while they were fighting in court to see what what went on in, in the lands. And I'm not, and now please get, don't get me wrong. I don't think anything went wrong. I don't think this, I think this election was fair and 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 and, uh, and he won, Biden won legitimately. However, okay. everything that transpired was legal. Now the okay. argument becomes what Farney Willis is gonna argue is what you're gonna argue, what Cheeseboro is no. gonna argue in October. He's gonna argue, we had every right to believe that the, there was fraud in the election, here's why. And here's why Shelly, we did. I do apologize, dear brother. I'm getting, I'm getting a wrap up signal, so I, I have to uh, provide rebuttal to you. You brought up uh, Hawaii, and I think Hawaii took place in 1960. Um, the Hawaii incident that you brought up, there's a big difference in what they did and what you are currently referring to. In Hawaii, the election was eventually certified in a way that went to those who had credible, credible evidence that the election was not fairly concluded as of yet. That's number one. Number two, both parties transparently and openly agreed that they would send in their slate of electors so that they would meet the deadline. They openly agreed to this, it was universally accepted that they would send it in due to the time element and whichever candidate won the election by way of certification. That group of electoral college members would then thus be activated in the so case in sir, allow me sorry, to finish. Sorry, 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 good. The case in 2020, completely different. It was done in secrecy. It wasn't, it wasn't done by all electoral college members. Johnny Isaacson's son, uh, Senator Johnny Isaacson, all right, God rest his soul. His son is one of those who would have been an elector. He was invited to the meeting. He could have signed the affidavit. He did not. You know why he didn't? Because he knew it was illegal. So no, he chose he, not. No, to. that's not why. The why Go he ahead, didn't brother. do it. Why he didn't do it was because he didn't believe there was any fraud, which several people did not go to that meeting because they didn't believe it was fraud. Brian Kemp didn't believe it was fraud. He didn't call for a special session. So this idea that because people didn't show up to the meeting somehow that the other people were doing something illegal is is, mm -hmm. is come on, it's, it's false. But in the 60, 1960 case in Hawaii, they agreed to do something. In this case, if the other side who who the um, who the, the the record shows was winning or won the election. They would, the Democrats in Georgia never agreed to meet and say, let's go through a recount. Brad Raffensperger, Secretary of State, certified the election two, three days later. There was never a conversation about not certifying or having a meeting or coming together. That's just the difference in the times we live in. That's not, yep. doesn't make it illegal, sir. And let me, let me wrap with this. It's going to be interesting to see based on the statute, the statutory reading. Um, not only of the fake electoral college dynamic when you sign. You keep throwing out affidavit. fake electoral. Oh, oh absolutely, See, sir. That's because, a narrative. Hold on, brother. You're called hold, hold alternative on, wait, electors. Wait a minute, brother. Lock her up is a narrative, sir. 
So you all should like narratives given who your champion is. We do. So, so I will absolutely submit to you that part of a case and trial is sticking to the narrative and providing the evidence that's congruent to it. That's the way you win cases and also the way you lose them. So let me go back to one of the dynamics quickly that will come up. The Raffensperger call, now we know it wasn't just Raffensperger, it was also other individuals, recordings may exist. But here's the thing, at the end of the day, two bodies, two juries said, yes, this man deserves to be indicted. The special purpose grand jury in Fulton County, and then the normative grand jury afterwards. They all looked at evidence and have concluded that this needs to be an indictable offense, and thus the indictments came. Do you argue against the reviewing of the evidence that they see or they saw that we do not? We have not seen the evidence that they have seen. Are you suggesting that you can conclusively say that Donald Trump did not in fact violate Georgia law? I can emphatically say that a DA worth her salt and Fonnie DA, Fonnie Willis is a great DA, talented DA. I remember she prosecuted black women teachers on RICO charges who simply helped or cheated on a test and yep. put, tried to put them in jail. So she's yep. a very, very strong DA who goes after black teachers. Teachers making twenty thousand dollars a year trying to teach black kids and the kids. Yeah, but I'm treating, asking you. Treating, oh, I'm wait answering your question. You're, you're Don't cut me off. First, I'm not bloviating. I'm not bloviating. Let me ask you a question, dear brother. Just wait one yes, second. I, I need to say this on a, record, a good, brother. A, do, a good just DA wait a can, second, brother. I need to say DA, this on record. Go ahead. Sir. I need to put this on record. Yes, sir. I opposed. Bonnie Willis when she was a senior prosecutor prosecuting teachers in this. City. We all go ahead. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Yes, I do. I believe any DA worth her salt can prosecute a ham sandwich. So yes, when it's a a grand jury where you're presenting all the evidence and there's no opportunity for the defendant or charged or investigated individual to defend themselves, absolutely, I believe a grand jury would find uh, an indictable uh, crime. Now. October when Kenneth Cheeseboro, who is called the architect of this case, when he gets to go in front of a court, remember in Georgia, no, none of these um I know charges. That. I want him to go in front of a right, court. Right, because right. And I he think, wants to I think he gets convicted. Me, he, he wants to. He wants to go yeah, in front of a court. I know. Listen, that's when he gets to call this is going to, Gabriel right, Serling. This, this is going Ruby to embolden or right. or validate, right? It's going to do one or the other at the end no. of his verdict. More importantly than that, Rashad, whether he gets convicted or not, what he's going to be able to do is throw the evidence that they saw that no court has seen, no jury has seen. Because remember, the courts here in Georgia threw out the cases before he even yeah. got that far. So now he gets to argue, he gets to question, and that's why he's the one yeah, that wants and I don't, to go first. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I have my reasons for that. All right, yeah. dear brother, always a pleasure having you on always the show. Always a pleasure. I'll bring, uh, I'll bring a you a break. I'll bring you some liquor back from Jamaica. My you know brother. I don't drink, man. Not yeah, anymore, that's right? why I'm gonna bring you back some liquor. <laughs> Have a good day, man. I appreciate you, brother. All Love right, you, brother. Love you back, man. Uh, remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable.